everybody, I'm John Miller, and this is the second flashback episode of For Old Missouri. And this time, we're going all the way back to the 1985 World Series, the final two and one-third innings of Game 6. And yes, indeed, it's the infamous Don Dinkinger blown call at first base game. But you know, it's not just about Don Dinkinger, as you'll see if you watch along with us. No, there's a lot of meat on that bone. Plenty to talk about, plenty of characters, plenty of stories, and most of all, plenty of good times with my good buddy, Mr. Jason Jennings, who's returning. The same guy who was with me for 2011 Game 6, which, frankly, obviously, if you're a Cardinals fan, you're listening to this, well, you have a lot better memories about that. But you know what? I still encourage you to listen because, you know what, I'm a nice guy, and even though I'm a Royals fan, I don't twist in the knife, and quite honestly, I was two years old when this game happened, so there is no real emotional attachment to it for me. Now, my parents, who are actually in the stands, now they're going to have a different reaction. <laughs> but most importantly, we're going to have some fun watching this together, aren't we? Right? Okay. So without further ado, let's get this thing going, shall we? So, easiest way to pull up the video... And again, you need to get the right specific video here, not just some random video on YouTube. No, get the right video. So click on the video from the description of this podcast, or if you'd like, go to foroldmissouri.com under the flashbacks section, or quite possibly if you're listening to this closely when it came out, it's probably right there on the front page. Just click the link and you'll be able to find it. And finally, well, just a third way if you want to just go to youtube.com. Type in 1985 World Series Game 6. But again, look for the link that says final two and a third innings and it is attached to For Old Missouri's YouTube page. All right, you got it? You guys got that video pulled up? Well, if not, take your time. But I'm going to get on with the countdown, okay? And assume you have your video zeroed out. So here we go. I'm going to count down from three and say play. And again, when I pop that P and play, that's when you have to hit play. So here we go. Three, two, one, play. All right, here we are, Jason. It's 1985. I remember it well. I was two years old, and we just saw <laughs> Danny Cox strike out Royals catcher. Oh, God, now I'm forgetting his name. Help me. Sunberg. Jim Sunberg. Thank you. And now stepping to the plate will be with two outs, runner on first. Buddy Biancala, Biancalan, well, that's a tough one for me to say, but that's a fantastic name. You got to love it. Oh, yeah. I kind of love the alliteration. I'm always partial to that, but then, uh, yeah, all the vowels, <laughs> that works as well. So Danny Cox was really throwing a hell of a ball game here, and in fact, so far, we're scoreless. We've got Todd Worrell for the Cardinals and Quisenberry here for the Royals warming up, but this was quite the pitcher's duel so far. Yeah, it really was, and uh, and Charlie Lieberant throwing for the Royals as well. He had had uh, uh, thrown well in the previous game. He came out, and I believe that they uh, the blew the lead. And what was that game two? Uh, whenever he started as well, it's, it's a constant talk uh, during this game broadcast of uh, Lieberant uh, getting pulled. And right. Then, yeah. Game game two, and then the Cardinals scored. Four well, and here's the moment. Lieberant's coming up. Let me heat up uh, Al Michaels here real quick. Yep. With the bases loaded and two out. And this is why I hate the DH. Yep. It's not worth getting into a whole discussion of it right now, but think, think of what Hauser had to think about right now. No now, score. Now, obviously, this is the classic should you pinch hit move here, but just for everybody out there, this is the World Series, and there was a designated hitter at this time, but at this point, even the American League and the World Series had to hit their pitcher. Now, look at that swing by Lee Brandt. I mean, I'm, I've never actually watched this game until recently. It's one of these things I've heard about for years, but I was stunned when Hauser didn't pinch hit here. I don't get it. Well, I mean, it's just this old-school thinking, i got to leave my guy in there and all this, but my gosh, I mean, he's just throwing curveballs and just whiffing by three feet. I mean, I had as good of a shot to get a hit here. Oh, absolutely. No, it's, it's just insane. And then the fact he had Quisenberry up. Why even put him up? Right, exactly. No, it, it just shows you how much the game has changed. I mean, look at that swing. It, it's just, I mean, the poor guy didn't have a chance. He already was, he has seven scoreless innings here. Is that not good enough? We got to we got to run him out there for another inning. 
and he'll say in the post game interview that it's like, well, it's not even a guarantee that that if I had a pinch hitter out there that he'd get a hit. But it's like, shoot, you got a probably twenty five percent better chance than <laughs> yeah, zero Lee versus twenty five. Yeah, and uh, Hal McRae was on the bench there. I tell you, old Hal was a really really good hitter when you look back at his career. Oh, absolutely, just a classic old school player. And Charlie Liebrand, man, he was just. I think my chances should be a little bit better. Yeah, go ahead. I was just uh, pulling this up just for a second because they they talk a little bit about how he had bad luck here in late inning situations. I thought that was kind of timely. Into the ninth, but I haven't had too much success in ninth innings. But I still felt my stuff was good. I still felt confident I was going to get out. I just couldn't get out. Hopefully, this will be different. And that was an in-game interview there, or the one they recorded before the game. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Liebrand also is just traditionally one of those guys that he ended up going to Atlanta afterward. And he is just one of those guys that the Cardinals, ever since I've been watching them, and this is even before I was watching them here, uh, I didn't start watching them until 88, they've always struggled with these soft-tossing junk ball left-handers. It doesn't matter what era, who the manager is, how many switch hitters that Whitey Herzog got out there. They just always couldn't hit those guys. And uh, obviously this series was definitely an example of that with Liebrandt. Yeah, ultimately they were saying if the Cardinals, during this game the broadcasters were saying if the Cardinals had won this championship, they'd have had the lowest batting average of a winner in the series since like the Red Sox in 1918, I believe. Only yeah. with five singles in this game, which is, to your point, they just had the, the soft-tossing lefty. just tends to trick people up. But again, sort of your point and to the point of that interview we just heard for a second there, it's not a coincidence that the farther you go along in games that those sort of soft-tossers, you get a better look at them. Well, anybody you get a better look at, it becomes easier to hit. So, Oh, I mean, we're going to touch on it a bunch, I'm sure, in this next hour, just how different the game is. <laughs> now compared to then i mean just imagining okay yeah lee brand was perfect into the six but now they're getting to him there's no way he'd still be in like all this third time through the order stuff right especially they just gave off the gave off the lead hit there lead off hit to terry pendleton i mean if you're not going to bring him in right now in 2019 they would have taken him out in the fourth inning probably even though he was pitching a great game you know how it goes now i'm exaggerating a little bit but Certainly the amount of time that they stretched him in here is incredible. And and just to that point, too, Charlie Liebrand had eight complete games this year. Eight. Last season, the leader was two. There were two. There were six guys who had two, and there were like 14 guys total who, who had at least one. So, I mean, it just it's, – it's night and day, the way that the, ma- the bullpens are managed, the starters are managed. It's really incredible. John Tudor – let me look this up real quick – he how many he had in eighty five how many complete games it's double digits and all during uh let's see John Tudor sixteen complete games that's incredible it's either him or or Doc Gooden just pulling up the stack because they dueled back and forth uh, no Gooden had sixteen complete games uh, Tudor I think had at least ten and that was all in this one stretch where he went like eighteen and one. After starting uh, one and seven, I, I know wins and losses don't matter, but still eighteen and one over a stretch, and a, a sub two ERA that Tudor went on. Um, you know, I'm just going on a side tangent here. Tudor uh, was the ace of the Cardinal staff this year, and they dealt George Hendrick for him uh, before the season started, and uh, then Hendrick went on and and he was their power hitter from the 1982 World Series team, and then he went on got hurt for the Pirates. Tudor started the year one and seven for the Cardinals and they're like, okay, what's going on here? And then just rips off just a historic run that we've really never seen in St. Louis before, or maybe Bob Gibson would be the only uh, comp, but definitely haven't seen it since to go like 18 and one. And I believe it was 10 complete games over that stretch and then did out duel Gooden in a key September matchup with the uh, division somewhat on the line. Uh, And uh, he was their ace and he was, would go on to pitch game seven, and, well, we might touch on that later. Didn't go Tudor's way. Yeah, it's funny you bring up game seven and you said 18-1 and one because Brett Saberhagen had a different 18-1 and one in this series. He pitched 18 innings, and he gave up one run in games three and game seven. Saberhagen's definitely a guy that 
if he pitched in a different market other than Kansas City, he'd be remembered a lot more. But he just kind of gets forgotten in time uh, in the larger baseball sense that, you know, what, two Cy Youngs. and Yeah, he won the 85 Cy Young for sure. He won one later in the '90s too. I'm very sure about that. Yeah, he was kind yeah. of a, he was kind of one of those. He was sort of the San Francisco Giants of his era. He was sort of an every other year kind of guy. It seemed like as far as his big years, it seemed like for a while there, right? Yeah. Oh, that I'd, I'd say that's pretty accurate. And was he he was the MVP of this series, right? I'm pretty sure he was. Sabes was, yeah, Saberhagen. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. let's uh, see if he uh, can Cy, get Cy Young's in '85 and '89. Yeah, there you go. Was he Every was was that Matt's eighty nine? Uh, that was that still was, was that no, still that was Royals? Royals? Okay, that I was, was mad. I, I'd lose my train of uh, the year sometimes when and, and those younger a, and years. And a no hitter, and a no hitter in Kansas City in ninety one. That's right. Well, if he can't get Cesar Cedeno here, he's got to take Lee Brand now, right? One would think <laughs> Cedeno only playing here because. Uh, I guess that uh, Herzog didn't like Van Slyke uh, hitting against the lefty, uh, so Sedano uh, gets the start. And uh, Van Slyke, who uh, after this year would be uh, one of the times, a few times, the Cardinals got the raw end of a trade, and uh, they dealt him to Pittsburgh for Tony Pena. Uh, and the reason they got Tony Pena is was because they parted ways with Daryl Porter, uh, a catcher, and uh, I'm going to touch some more on Daryl Porter whenever uh, he comes yeah. to bat here. Well, and, and, uh, and former Royals manager Tony Pena. Yep, and I like Tony Pena and all, but sure. uh, I think I'd rather have Andy Van Slyke. Of course. Especially I, I, considering yeah. that they, they ended up kind of trying to find a right fielder for a few years after that, and then they got desperate after the 87 World Series uh, and traded Tommy Herr for Tom Brenansky to fill that void in right. And that went against them because they hadn't had a good second baseman as good as Tommy Herr ever since they traded him. I'm, I'm convinced to this day. And, uh, and Brenansky really never, you know, what was never that power hitter. Why do you always want to have that one power hitter? You know, this is Jack Clark, right? You know, before that it was George Hendrick. And after Clark left they they, you know, they let him go and try to fill that with Brenansky and that didn't pan out. Then they got Pedro Guerrero, and it just, you know, it ne- never really had that, that power hitter right in the middle of that lineup uh, to, and let all these guys run around him. So Cedeno walked here. I mean, come on. Go get him. Go get Lee Brand, please. I'm feeling sorry for him at this point. The guy gave you his pitch a great game. Now we're just leaving <laughs> him hanging out here to die through, th- I know. through like 237 <laughs> regular season innings. Like, my goodness. Give him a yeah. break. Okay, so here's Daryl Porter, 1982 World Series MVP, uh, a, a former Royal. I guess lefty, one, lefty, they're thinking, leave him in. Yeah, must She's got be. Bud Black, though, too, former yep. future famous future pitching manager. coach and other thing, manager. One of the few uh, former pitcher managers, too. Um, but I just got to read this about Daryl Porter here. Please right, do. So Porter, who, you know, I'll, we'll preface this with, it's a sad story. Died at 50, battled drug addiction the whole time. Or not the whole time, but uh, during a lot of his career. But I was going through, and I thought that was the case, but I had to stumble across his Wikipedia page just to confirm all that. And one of the most bizarre two-paragraph descriptions in here uh, that that I – I don't know if it's funny or if it's sad, but it just struck me here that it's like, okay. Uh, Porter told the Associated Press that during the winter of 1979-1980, that's right before he went to the Cardinals, uh, he became paranoid, convinced that baseball commissioner Bowie, Bowie Kuhn, known to be tough on drug use, knew about his drug abuse, was trying to sneak into his house and planned to ban him from baseball for life. Porter found himself sitting up at night in the dark, watching out the front window, waiting for Hune to approach, clutching bill bo- billiard balls and a shotgun. Wow. You, so the so the shotgun wasn't good enough. The billiard balls was his backup weapon. Balls, yeah. yeah. In case I run out of buckshot here, I'm going to start throwing billiard balls at his face. Interesting plan. And this, is, and this is before the Cardinals acquired him. Wow. So he had a good long run after that. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. And this was his next to last game as a Cardinal. Well, he didn't like that call, did he? 
I didn't like that call. <laughs> I don't blame you. You know when the catcher is getting pissed off, it's got to be a bad call. Yeah. I tend not to old, argue, but. I mean, come on. This is oh, yeah, old, that's like, the old, like, Tom Glavin, Tom Glavin. call there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Exactly who was that? Was yeah, who was that? Who was that umpire? Is that, there was that famous game in, like, 98. Ah, whatever. Oh, uh, Eric Gregg. Thank Eric you. Gregg. God, you're yeah. the man. That's why you're on this show. Yeah, Levon Hernandez uh, was the uh, actually, actually that went against the Braves. That was Levon versus the Braves. Yes, in yes, I was going to say Levon. Okay, oh, now so the Brian, great Brian Harper. All right, so Brian Harper, uh, throw it in your Google machine uh, if you're not familiar with it already. Uh, against another player in this game, but in the '91 World Series, Twins versus Braves, Lonnie Smith trucks Brian Harper at the plate so hard. It would never happen today. Right. And uh, Harper somehow holds on. Trust me, it's worth it. Lonnie Smith, Brian Harper, it'll be the first thing that pops up. I'm down. I can't wait. I'm going to check it out after this game. There are a few things I'll probably suggest to go search, but that's that might be tops. Where and, are uh, you on plowing the catcher? Do you miss that? It always felt a little lame, but now part of me misses it. Uh, when you see this clip, you'll probably miss it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just always thought, man, we're just going to get this catcher just killed one of these days it's incredible it's just it just seems to have nothing in common my problem with it it always just seemed like it had nothing in common with anything else that happens on a baseball field it's like suddenly at home plate it's like oh yeah i can just drop kick this guy in the face but <laughs> any other where on the field it's not like i can plow mark mcguire when he's catching the ball at first like yeah not that any not that would be advisable but you get my drift and on that play uh the 91 play lonnie smith definitely just takes a a forearm up high on Harper. I, I I don't know how he didn't get knocked silly. Right. Because he pops right back up, but it's a hell of a visual. Now, Harper was involved in that uh, that Tudor trade as well, and I believe uh, uh, in this at bat, Al Michaels is uh, just laughing at how one-sided, how the Cardinals just, just hosed the Pirates on that trade. Now, speaking of Al Michaels, this was actually – Tim McCarver's first go at the World Series, and he got rave reviews from this and was around practically ever since until recent years. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I couldn't stand McCarver for the longest time, and now that he's that Cardinals broadcast, right. he's kind of the old man telling stories. I'm like, ah, oh, Tim McCarver, oh, he's not so bad. Yeah, he may have just became overexposed at a certain point. That's that's safe to say. And there's your so first round of the ball game right yeah. there. You know, Royals fans, that body language by Willie Wilson there, did that look familiar to you? Because when I saw that, I immediately thought, that's Lorenzo Kane. That's exactly, if something, like if he was thinking about throwing the ball, gunning it to home and didn't have time, was disappointed that we gave up a lead or whatever, I'm telling you, that's exactly what his body language was. <laughs> and it's just weird because they have the same jersey number six and everything. I, that just struck me. It never struck me before that they had anything in common. I was like, that really was kind of Lorenzo Cain body language there. I don't know why. Maybe that's I'm just, crazy. That's interesting. Yeah. My uh, first uh, organized sports team I ever played for, I was uh, six or seven years old playing T-ball, and my team name was the Royals, and I got assigned number six. So I, was, nice. I had an affinity for Willie Wilson. Hey, that's a solid player there. That's a cool player oh, when you're like, yeah, when you're like seven years old. That's a cool player, too. Oh, absolutely. Too. Yeah, and he was still in the league at that point, too. All right, here's Ozzy. Not exactly tearing it up this World Series compared to his uh, big no. walk-off in the previous series. Right. So this was the Go Crazy folks here? Oh, yeah. Okay, I had forgotten that. And Ozzy's got a bad lead-off this series because Vince Coleman. Right, he was out. Uh, yep. Yeah, that's that's the, the big what-if for Cardinals fans this series is Vince Coleman who mm. stole, I don't know, I mean, I can look up how many bases he stole, but was the rookie of the year and then had the famous injury where late in the season he got eaten up by the tarp, uh, the uh, the automated uh, tarp that came out of Bush Stadium. And, uh, oh, yeah. That sounds ugly. Oh, it was. it's not pretty. And it was stupid because he was just kind of like, well, there's different stories because there's no video of it. There's one that it just – it was released – like from behind and he didn't see it coming. Ooh. Um, Yikes. my, my uncle is convinced that, that he saw that he was kind of playing around trying to hop over and back as it was coming out. And then, then, uh, then messed up his ankle. So I, I don't know. Uh, but he, 
Let's see, eighty. He said, I've got it here. He's got a hundred and sorry, eighty five, a hundred and ten stolen bases and only twenty five caught. Next year a hundred seven stolen, fourteen caught. That's incredible. Oh yeah. I mean he would have more than Ricky during some of those years. Yeah, apparently. He had a uh, hundred three straight years. Gotta stop him right here. And that obviously is what Lee Grant's trying to do. So do you think if Ozzy were around today that, that- I don't know. I've, Ozzy is my first favorite player, but, you know. Would he be looked at more all- as Omar Vizquel instead of exactly. the great shortstop of his era? Exactly. That may be, but it's, you know, just the, the baseline for what a great shortstop or really any offensive player was was just so much lower. Not only that, but, you know, if you want to compare eras, while we see so many great plays defensively these days that almost become routine, the Aussie in that era was just head and shoulders sure. above yeah, absolutely. everyone else. No, you're right. And that's yeah, that's a point you've made over the years is that really major league defense has gotten so much better over the years. I make that point all the time and think that is a huge reason why home runs have become what they have because <laughs> you gotta score somehow. What a great Dick Hauser <laughs> cutaway. <laughs> that was great. And where Ozzy really obliterates, oh yeah, tough take. Where uh, Ozzy obliterates Vizquel is in the stolen bases, and that's just yep. that was a huge offensive. Uh, you know that, that that was everything for the Cardinals. Sure. Yeah, Whitey Herzog, Whitey Ball. I mean, that was a big, big thing. It was all the 1980s. Was the Cardinals and speed and everything. But of course, people forget now. He was the manager of the Royals during one of their great eras as well. The Royals were AL West champions. For three straight years from 76 to 78, all with Whitey. And, of course, we lost to the Yankees in the ALCS every time, damn it. <laughs> but that was Those quite the rivalry there for a while. Oh, absolutely. And, by the way, Dick Hauser came from the Yankees, too, that era of the Yankees, to eventually be the manager of this team. Now, those are some fun clips to go back and watch, those rivalries. Like the one of my favorites, well, there are two favorites that I love watching. I love seeing the George Brett Homer off Goose Gossage, right. where where Gossage, the, the ball comes off the bat so hard from Brett, where Gossage ducks because he just the, the sound is so loud, he thought like a gun went off right. or something that, that, he, that he thinks it might be coming right back at him, but it lands in the upper deck. Um, and the other is uh, the other favorite to throw on the Google machine. I don't know if you've seen this one before. Have you seen the uh, Hal McRae takeout slide of Willie Randolph? No, I don't believe I have. <laughs> that, number two video to mark down. <laughs> that's that's a good one to watch. It is. It, people want to talk about Chase Utley, and rightfully so. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Hal McRae slides like starts his slide after he goes through second base, and it's like, all right, next play. <laughs> You know what? The, I may have, the, I, now that you're mentioning, I may have seen that. I just may not have realized it was Hal McRae. And we finally went out and got got Lebrand here. Jeez. And Dan Quisenberry, who would later go on to be a Cardinals closer. Yeah. Well, and speaking of uh, Dick Hauser and Dan Quisenberry, well, this team had some bad luck with brain cancer. I can tell you that much. My wow. goodness. They didn't think about that. Yeah, because well, Dick Hauser actually coached, managed his last game in the major leagues. Just the following year in the 1986 All-Star Game. The AL won 3-2, but after the game, people noticed that Hauser was messing up signs and just didn't really seem like himself. And he admitted after the game that he didn't feel right and ended up going to the hospital. And, yeah, they diagnosed him with terminal brain cancer. He ends up trying to make a comeback in spring of 87 and just just didn't quite have it health-wise and everything. And within, like, gosh, three, four months, he was dead at 51 years old. Wow. I I knew about the brain cancer, but I didn't didn't know that at the All-Star Game story. Yeah, and and sadly, sadly, Dan Quisenberry died even younger at 45. Mm -hmm. 98, he died of brain cancer. So another quick one. I mean, he was diagnosed in, like, January of 98 and was died in, like, September. So, I mean, yeah, it's... Kind of a bizarre thing there. Two of your big, uh, big members of this team here were gone too early by the mm-hmm. same by the same malady. On a happier note, at second for the Cardinals, Tom Lawless, who two years later would bring us the greatest bat flip in uh, in history. And we've got eighty-five MVP Willie McGee at the plate here. 
Yep. Well, that looked like trouble off the bat. It was a pretty good it range really did. there. That, by, that was, that's an underrated play. Cause I, that's, if, if he doesn't get that. And a pressure yeah. throw, too. I mean, good play by Frank White. Willie McGee, though. My gosh. That is – talk about one of the other great trades in Cardinals history. Uh, they the, He was in the Yankees system for like five years, even though he was like the a top 15 draft pick. But he was in the Yankees system um, – Never got above triple or double A. They're kind of hiding them down there. And then the Cardinals, uh, Whitey traded him in '82 for uh, a relief pitcher, Bob Sykes. And well, I don't know why the Yankees bid on it, but they did. And Willie came up in '82 and then helped lead them to the World Series. Had uh, had a game in that Brewer series where he he hit two home runs and robbed another. And uh, and Bob Sykes never. Uh, pitched another major league game the Yankees got nothing out of it wow yeah there's a lot of really interesting trades that you can look back on in baseball in particular because you're just sometimes you're unloading these prospects these 19 year old kids and you just don't know what they're going to be yet it's not like basketball where your your superstars are generally going to emerge they're going to present themselves as superstars almost immediately Mm -hmm. And here's Lonnie Smith, who at this point was a former Cardinal. There's a lot of Cardinals-Royals crossover in this series. Right. Guys who went on to play with the team before or after. All right, I can't resist. Since you brought up Hal McRae, I'm going to – I got a brain – I cut a little clip of Hal, one of my favorite clips of all time. Oh, this is going to be his uh, post-game uh, rant? Oh, you know it, buddy. <laughs> So this would be 1993, and somebody made the horrible mistake of asking Hal McRae why he didn't hit an aging left-handed George Brad against a left-handed pitcher. Let's see how that turned out for that particular reporter. Did you consider uh, Brett for Miller with the bases loaded in the seventh? No, year? no, don't ask me all these stupid-ass questions. No. And in the... God, all these stupid-ass questions every night. So he's just throwing tape recorders all over the room right now. Yeah, the phone. Yeah, he eventually picks up the phone and does a full, like, like if he's doing, like, the discus at the Olympics, twirls it around and accidentally hits a reporter in the face, draws blood and everything. Somehow he was not fired for this. Oh, no. I had all these questions every night. He's still going. Hey, underrated hitter, Al McRae, I'm telling you. Go back and look at his his numbers versus Terry Pendleton. You'll be surprised. He had way better numbers than Terry. You guys are not taking on the f- players. I'm sick and tired. I'm fed up with every f- thing. No He's still going. You guys, no f- from you f- players. We're almost at the yeah, end. We got the capper. Wait for it. Wait do. for it. I'm sick and tired Wait of all it. this bullshit. Now, put that in your f- pipe and smoke Yes. Put that in your fucking pipe and smoke it. Oh, I think man. Lonnie Smith may have said a few of those words after that strikeout, too. He may well have. Absolutely. How, how he didn't get tossed. I mean, you immediately would get tossed today for doing that. Oh, yeah, there's, absolutely. There's, there's, so, there's so much there. I mean, in the Hal McCray rant, those are those things that were very common in the 80s and I suppose early 90s with Lasorda and, uh, and managers of uh, Earl Weaver, guys like that. And uh, I guess in the age of... Uh, of social media and stuff like that they're not as common because we had our little run there at the beginning of social media where we had you know mike gundy and coaches like that you know uh um, denny green and all that just those post-game rants but they've really kind of gone away in the past couple years i know people are just so much more polished now it's very irritating we're all statistically and here goes yeah here's lonnie with his Ooh, he is pissed off and by the way, that was totally, he's totally looking to deflect blame there. Like, you win, buddy. You win. Oh, completely. <laughs> like, give me a break, dude. You swung at that. I mean, yeah, he's, whoa, he's way out in front there. Yeah, he broke his wrist. Yeah, that's a swing, buddy. The aforementioned Willie Wilson digs in. Are you a little, uh, here, I'll uh, give people a time cue, just make sure we're all on the same page here. I'm at 2556, 2558, 2559, 26 minutes. 
All right, we're locked and loaded here. Um, yeah, uh, Ken Daly, uh, his uh, daughter used to uh, do some Fox Sports Midwest stuff. Sarah Daly. Okay. There you go. I believe as of a year and a half ago, she just she no longer does. But something for your mid Missouri mid Missouri listeners. Ken Daly also two years after this in the World Series would give up a grand slam to Kent Herbeck in Game Six. Uh, after the Cardinals were actually already down six to five, they had the lead uh, early in the game, up three to three to two in the series, and that one as well. And then gave up the lead, and then then Daly came in and gave up the granny, and that was all she wrote there. Three and one now to Willie Wilson. Yeah, that's when I start feeling bad for umpires and referees is when some guy just clearly fucked up and then he's looking to deflect blame onto the umpire. It's like, really, buddy? Go sit down. Yes. That's one reason I – well, that's one thing I thought that replay would just completely eliminate. And, I, I, you know, balls and strikes are one thing. How naive we were, yeah. I know. (laughs) Could have used replay in this game. Yeah, no kidding. I'm sure Don Dinkinger would agree wholeheartedly. Boy, that looked like a strike, didn't it? Oh, I, I was watching this <laughs> the other night. I was like, where was that? I, I don't know. Especially the way they called those up and in pitches at different points. Although I guess maybe those were up and out. I guess the inside pitch may have been a little different. I was just thinking that well, side of the plate. You're, you're right. It was like that's the one that Ozzy took earlier too, and it's pretty much the same spot. And right. That was inside Ozzy. So yeah. Okay. They, they See, I, that was my mind. I was going, boy, I don't know. I don't know, Willie. He was, hey, run down to first, sell it, buddy. Sell it like Ric yeah, Flair. Yeah, Porter, Porter could at least framed it a little bit. One thing I noticed here, look how, of course, this is George Brett here digging in. Look how far he is off the plate. I know. I, I wonder if he did too. this all the time or just against lefties. I'd have to look at another bat of his. But I, I feel like this is how he always stood in the plate. George, wondering where that was. Is there anyone who doesn't like George Brett? Even Yankees fans would just probably, if they would... If they had that had had to have had respect for him, even if they were booing him. Oh, I those think years, so. I think so. I mean, they would readily take him on their team. But George just misses this one here. I mean, he's just late. That was a good swing. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, me and my buddy Zach Eubank, who you know. When we were in our younger days, probably 12-ish or something, we saw George Brett at uh, Stroud's, the famous fried chicken spot in KC. And, well, we got the nerve to get a couple baseballs and go ask him for an autograph. George looked a little annoyed. He was, you know, having tying one on with his buddies and everything. But he was he was nice enough to sign our balls. So <laughs> I, give him a lot of, I give him a lot of credit. He just gave me the side eye a little bit and then signed my ball. So it's all good. Yeah. I pre- appreciate it, George. I would oh, never, I would Kareem never, Lee. I would never interrupt anybody's meal in my older days. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, Kareem never would have done that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that nanny. All fastballs here by Daly. Blows him right for strike. He can bring three. it. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't gonna. He saw he, George didn't get around on that second pitch. He's like, well, I'm not gonna throw him an off-speed pitch. I'll guarantee you that. I remember seeing Daly, one of the first games I ever went to, it was 89, went down to Atlanta with my dad, and uh, Daly came out of the pen, and I just remember my dad going, my God, this guy's throwing smoke, and of course, I'm sure it was like 93. Sure. Yeah, now like, everybody throws that fast now out of the bullpen, plus. Boy, Frank White has had a strained relationship with the Royals over the years, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, just a lot of weird stuff with hurt feelings about, you know, Trey Hillman getting the managerial position over him 10 years ago or so, and just weird things, organizational things, things about him being the play-by or the color announcer with the team. I don't know. I can't even explain all of it. By the way, Whitey Herzog is 53 years old in this game. Does he not look older? He's always looked 70 to me. That's what I'm saying. He's one of those guys. He's one of those guys, and these these days, like, whenever you get a microphone in front of him, I'm just like, please don't say something racist. <laughs> <laughs> so he's Hulk Hogan. <laughs> kind of. I don't know if you remember, there was a famous uh, Daryl Strawberry home run that was hit off of 
Mr. Daly here in this season. It was in the, I think it was the strawberry 30 for 30. I think he hit it off a clock in Shea Stadium or something, but I think okay. it was, and they showed it in the strawberry 30 for 30 one. I think it was the one where he was explaining that, hey, when I was on Greenies, boy, that ball looked like a beach ball. <laughs> I think that was the clip they showed was his like 500 foot home run off, off of this guy. I completely believe that. <laughs> the Cardinals Mets rivalry, that was on the tail end of it whenever I started watching baseball, but that was definitely the, the big Cardinals rival at the time and that's just that's one of those that can probably have its own 30 for 30 just they, they were going back and forth in that division all throughout the 80s Brian Harper driving in the game's only run with a two out single in the eighth at the end of it all right for the ninth yep one inning on to go lead. See if they can get a few more. Beautiful shot of Royal Stadium and a reminder tomorrow. Royals are going to stick with Quisenberry here. Out on the left coast, the New As York City expect. Marathon. That would be that would have been hilarious if they had taken Quiz out after a third of an inning after leaving Lee Brandt in there for approximately <laughs> 900 batters. And here's Tommy Herr, who that year had. Uh, Let's see. Let me pull up the exact numbers here. Eight home runs, 110 RBI. Wow. I Holy believe he's cow. still the last guy to have 100 or more RBI. Did the Cardinals play in the polo runs. grounds that year? What What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> he hit in the right spot in the order. Always had guys on in front of him. Wow, that's incredible. I think he's still the last guy to have more than 100 RBI. And, and single-digit homers. Old. Yep. So someone can tweet me if if I'm wrong, but I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, if you're in the RBIs are overrated camp, he might be Exhibit A. Yeah. Love how fast quiz works when there's nobody on base here. Yeah, 795 OPS. By the way, what do we think about these Cardinals uniforms here? Like, they don't have – they have no belts, no buttons. Like, they're practically wearing pajamas. I don't know about these. <laughs> Not my favorite look by any means. It was what they wore a lot in the 80s. Now that they're going they're, – they're not wearing the victory blue anymore. See, I li- the, the blue was kind of – the blue was its own novelty. I, I like the blue, but – just the weird no belt and no buttons thing just is never – I don't know. It just doesn't quite look right to me. I totally agree. I prefer the buttons look as well. The the they didn't go to the belt and buttons look until gosh, it was at least the nineties. I was gonna say it had to be early nineties, didn't it? Yeah. Like Todd yeah, Zeal era or something. Uh huh. Todd Zeal. As we see as we saw earlier, Terry Pendleton. They dumped Terry Pendleton, didn't re sign him because Todd Zeal was their big prospected catcher and but he was an awful defensive catcher. And they already invested in him, so like, well, let's make the switch and put Todd Zeal at third base to see if he can uh, thrive there. Uh, we like his bat; we got to keep him. And then he was one of the worst defensive third basemen we've ever seen. And they, then they, then Pendleton in his first year in Atlanta wins the MVP. <laughs> Todd Zeal was not a popular Cardinal. Yeah, I, I always got that. I always got that idea. <laughs> that was that's the only era of my life I can remember where the Cardinals weren't good. I always think of Todd Zeal in that era for some reason. He's the first guy yeah. that pops into my head. Pretty good place to start. By the way, Kauffman Stadium now the sixth oldest stadium in baseball. I still haven't been there since uh, college. I haven't seen it since the renovations. Oh, it's it looks incredible since the renovations. It, it's truly remarkable that it still is beautiful as it is when i was looking back i was just curious i was like how many stadiums really are older than the k well the k was built in 73 and none of the stadiums from the 70s are still around and practically none of the ones from the 80s are still around only the sky dome which was built in 89 is the only one that's still around from that era so it just shows that whoever the architect was for kaufman stadium and arrowhead stadium they did a hell of a job they were really smart we were the only team that actually stayed away from the multi-purpose dome, it seemed, during that era. And guess mm-hmm. what? We've still got both of our stadiums. Good move. Absolutely. And uh, I like how it's set up, the big parking lot out there. 
I think it's uh, very wisely done. You're gonna gotta do it one of two ways: either do that or build one right downtown. But I still like their setup. I yeah. loved it coming from Columbia in college because you can just hop right on seventy. That's the thing. Yeah, if you're actually traveling from Columbia, yeah, you'd much rather have it there than downtown. Is the thing, if, mm-hmm. just for pure traveling purposes and parking and everything. Without question. Without question. On another weird managerial thing. The Royals, I was mentioned, you know, Whitey Ball. I mentioned Dick Hauser. Well, there was a, yeah, that was a funny moment where Brett falls down there. Ha ha. Only, only game nine, or inning nine of uh, the World Series. Yeah, no big deal. He just casually picks it up when he falls down. Oh, well. But, yeah, it is amazing how casual baseball players can look, even when they're looking stupid at times. (laughs) But, yeah, actually, Jim Frey was the Royals manager when they made the 1980 World Series. Then they started off 81, 30, and 40 to be replaced by Mr. Dick Hauser. So There you go. Kind of interesting there. Jim Frey, a little bit of an asterisk there in Royals history. Here's Tito Landrum, who's only playing because Vince Coleman's hurt. Ooh, close play. Let's see it. it. Really Let's see it. <laughs> yeah. Wait. <laughs> Wait, are we going to have something we can bitch about now? Let's see it. <laughs> we don't have Hauser coming out to. I know. Where, where's the, the, the step? Yeah, right. Where's the, at the, guy on the phone? No, I think they mentioned that he was. I think they said he couldn't come out to argue. Or he would have gotten thrown out since he had already come out or something. I didn't know if that was a rule, but and he is clearly safe. Speaking of rules, uh, you mentioned play. the whole DH thing. So I was looking up the history of the DH in the World Series. Uh, this was an era where they were alternating the, who had the DH. It was an every other year. Oh, was like, it? Okay. The, yeah. So whenever the DH first came about, I believe they, they actually said they're going to do it for both, uh, for all games. I see. Uh, you know, it came around the 70s. Like, first of all, all World Series games, DH across the board. Then for a few years, they said, we're going to alternate DH for every, every game or no DH for every game every other year. And this was a non-DH year. <laughs> if it were the year before they had DHs, this year they did not in the World Series. Well, that was like and when then, they used to alternate home field in the World Series, exactly. too. Interesting. And then I had no idea. Good season, note. And after, it was after this, se- this series where they did the uh, um, follow the rule of the home ballpark that they still do to this day. Interesting. Because I was struck by why Al was talking about the DH so much in that little rant there. All right. Well, Cardinals, three outs away from their 10th World Series championship. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Here's a little gamesmanship here between managers and who gets announced. Right. Well, we, we've got plenty of bench since we left Lebrand in for, you know, the entire Reagan administration. we got plenty of bench at this point. It's announced. Whitey comes out. Bring in my rookie closer who's only been in the majors for two months. Walks to the mound. And he wants the right-hander. So with Motley in the game, he wanted to make sure he was announced. And he wants Worrell. Really strong mustache game by Todd Worrell here. And really, frankly, that must have been just the standard issue white guy relief pitcher mustache for the 1980s. I think it was just a standard issue white guy look. You're right. That's true. Yeah, Jay Jennings absolutely was rocking this look. Todd Worrell. And the story is well known now, but it's it's worth repeating under these circumstances. You begin the season in AAA. In Louisville, Kentucky, in the American Association, as daily departs, and you're pitching in the minors, and you're not traveling first class or charter, and you're not staying in real good hotels, and you're not eating real good food because your meal money won't cover it. And somebody says, in the middle of the season, we want to make your relief pitcher. And then all of a sudden, you get called up in August, and here you are trying to win the World Series. I spoke with them earlier. In your role right now, and they're all about these pre tapes. Yeah, they are. Do you come into the game just seeking an out, or do you come in seeking a strikeout? 
It depends on the situation. Uh, being a power pitcher, and, and especially the situation I, I was in the last time I, I pitched in uh, Cardinal Stadium, I wasn't going for strikeouts. It's called Bush Stadium, uh, Todd. You know, we were down 4-1. <laughs> My main concern was... It's funny when he said that. I was wondering if the Louisville Stadium was still Cardinal Stadium. Yeah, maybe. You know, we really, I really couldn't afford yeah, to let still. him have another one or two runs. Else well, not to say he wasn't wrong. He was pitching a great game. You know, he deserved a lot of credit for his performance. And I knew if they got any farther ahead, we wouldn't catch him because we were late in the game. So... I was just trying to shut him down, and the next thing I know, uh, you know, I struck out the side and come out again and did the same thing again. Four to one. Behind. One to nothing. But that was a lot of important context there for Warrell, too, though. He'd only been in the majors for two months and then came in in his last appearance and struck out six, all six guys he faced. So you can see both sides of the equation why Whitey wanted him in there, but at the same time, you know, you got to think that, you know, if the Royals just get to him early, he might get rattled. Oh, and two. Nobody has ever struck out seven straight over two games. Oh, yeah, get that thing. World it's World in there. Got to be something in that ear. <laughs> oh, two. Or just make some contact. Especially about a young pitcher, you're talking about choke on up. Throw your stuff over the plate. So far in this World Series, all year he's been able to do it. Pops foul and curling back out of play to be in about 12 rows. Sparky Anderson, the Tiger manager, interviewing Warrell on Good Morning America the other day, ended the interview and I love that he said, Todd. Wow, he was on Good Morning America? <laughs> Slow day. Oh, it's in between. Now, be honest. Did it look like he was out by a country mile when you saw it live there? Nope. I never thought that. That, that, that he looked out. It's just an awkward... The, the way his feet are, where the throat is, it's behind him. I'm wondering... I've always wondered if he had to look down. You see, he was looking up. I wonder if he just thought his foot was off the bag, maybe. It uh-huh. definitely wasn't, but... It's just an awkward, awkward looking Well, play. in Worrell, you notice he has to stop here because he's thinking about getting the ball. He kind of half yep. stops there, but, I mean, clearly he's out. I mean, that's we've yeah. all seen the freeze frame. I mean, he's out by a country mile when you freeze frame it, but... Maybe not as obvious of a call in, in real time as you might have thought. Especially the I've, way he's re- – notice the way he reaches back there. The ball – the, part that the base runner me. is almost between him and the ball Yep. when he catches oh, it. I put that, that all on Jack Clark, okay? the fact that he, well, wasn't a first baseman before this season. Yeah. And then you see on that play and here at this at bat, now, him being a poor defensive first baseman cost him. Yeah, this is, well, and here's Steve Balboni, who, by the way, was the Royals' all-time home run single season record holder with 36 until Mike Moustakis beat it with 38 in 2017. That was honestly... I knew that. Yeah, and that was honestly one of those records that was sort of a Royals' futility record. I mean, the Royals had... Their first postseason appearance wasn't until 2014 from this from this uh, this series. So there's a lot of the futility the, there. The fact that the Royals went through the whole steroid era and no one topped out. Yeah, 36. And by the way, oh, don't don't look away. See, Jack Clark looks. See, I've never been able to do that. I've never been able. You know, I haven't played much baseball or softball compared to these people. I've never been able to take my eye off the ball and then relocate it, and neither could uh-huh. he apparently. So, who feels dumber uh, for uh, leaving in the first base? Well, he looked away from it twice. Oh yeah, him or uh, the next year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to the, the guy for Boston. Uh, what's his name? Uh, John, uh, John McNamara. Yeah, right. Yeah, Buckner or Bal Buckner or uh, yeah, Jack Clark. 
<laughs> Three outs for victory. Let's. By the way, notice how Balboni. I mean, he is the most. He looks like he should. He was central casting for like a big power hitter in major league or something. Notice how he steps in the bucket, like steps like down the third baseline on every swing, no matter what. <laughs> like I don't know any major league player who hits like that anymore. I really don't. Like watch his oh, front no. foot. It's incredible. What a great softball. And he just yanks that thing through the hole, too. Balboni. I mean, I always thought of him just like a guy who was almost an obese baseball player back in that era when I was thinking back. And now he's. I love this old guy here, too. What a good cutaway. 2019 standard Steve Balboni is uh, pretty trim. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he just looks like Chris Davis now, if he's that guy. So they were saying, it's funny, they were the announcers, we didn't have it heated up there, but they were saying, oh, we've got the power guy up and the bunt situation. I was like, bunt situation? Yeah. Good Lord. But now, of course, nobody out, runner on first and second. Now they really are going to try to bunt. Yep. Again, when I went back and watched this, you know, it's again, it's a game I've heard about my whole life. Didn't really actually watch it until recently. I was going, they're going to bunt here? Seriously? I'm just not a big fan of the bunt in general, but nobody out. Got runners on first and second. The Cardinals are kind of reeling here a little bit. I just I don't like the bunt at all. No, the older I get, the more I, I dislike it. But to this day. That was just how the game was played back game. then. Once again, I keep saying that, but it's true. Yeah, and defense not as good back then as it is now. Because in college, even to this day, if there's runners in first and second and no out, there are a lot of coaches like automatically lay it down. Sure. Really? Okay. It'd be one thing if we only needed one war- uh, I'm sorry, one run to win, but. Yeah, if it's tied, I see. Yeah, yeah. But. And then, of course, I think uh, McCarver, when Balboni was up, was playing the old, uh, well, it's, you know, you. You play for the tie at home. And yes, on that's, the road. Like, that's exactly what he said. I've <laughs> never understood that at all. Me neither. And they even take it to basketball, too. People yes. in basketball are like, oh, if you're down two and you're on the road, you should definitely shoot the three. But if you're at home, you should go for the tie. I'm like, why? What is that? Why? I don't get I guess that. the logic is once you get to overtime, you got the home crowd. That's about, I, whatever. I guess. 2-0 and o here. Still going to bond? Still going to bond? I think so. I hate to say it. I think so. Oh, mound visit. Notice how few mound visits are in this game compared to what happened up until a few years ago. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? You know what else? A lot more of in this game? American black guys. Yeah, that is very true. That's just a trend, man. There's less Latin players and more, or I'm sorry, more Latin players, less American black guys. It's just a trend. So true. Yeah. Oh, man, he pops it up. Speaking of things I have, I have nostalgia for that World Series logo behind home plate. I always like that thing. Oh, yeah. But you know what I don't have nostalgia for? The fucking Astro tournament. Whose idea was that? (laughs) God. Uh, like I said, well, I mean, yeah, whoever invented the Astro Dome, I guess. Yeah. But no, I mean, seriously, like, I've always loved Kauffman Stadium, everything about it. It's even better now, but oh, the Astro Just a nice one. If the Cardinals didn't win so many games playing on the turf, Ooh, that was almost fair. Fans would hate the, the turf more, but uh, I mean, because they had it, why do you know what to do to put a team uh, together to take advantage of it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, play to the elements for sure. I don't hate that. Yep, had a huge stadium and AstroTurf. So. so now it's two and so now it's two and two. So obviously he's still gonna bunt. Yeah, I was like, I was thinking, man, two one, just pull back that bat and swing. You know he's gonna throw you a strike. Especially like, look how hard Jack Clark was charging at first base there. You think he wants him to get a hit at him after that? After that drop pop up? I don't think so. Gets it down. Back to the pitcher. Oh! My goodness, there's a pressure play by Todd Worrell. Yeah, I mean, may have been his only play, but it's still a hell of a play. I mean, he throws an absolute strike here. How often does the pitcher in that situation panic and ironically just airmail his man? 
especially a rookie pitcher. Yeah, absolutely. Fortunately, it took him right to the where he needed to go, the bunt. If it was to his other side, I mean, he'd have gone to first, I'm sure, but you know what I mean. If he'd had to yeah. go to that side and then wheel around and throw to first, it might have been trouble, but perfect throw. Definitely yeah, gets it. That's, I mean, that's a play that – It's an excellent play them, under pressure. Could have won them the World Series, really. Absolutely. No, I mean, yeah. No, that was a huge out. Todd Worrell, here's some trivia for you. He won the National League Rookie of the Year the following year because he didn't play in enough games in 85. Hey, and there's Mr. Stick your Stick It in Your Pipe and Smoke it, <laughs> Hal McCray. Is, <laughs> there he is now. Hal came up the other night. Could be wrong. I think this may have been Hal's uh, final, final season as a player. Like I said, y'all, go pay, pull up his baseball reference sometime. He's a really underrated hitter from that era. You'd be surprised. He played two more years. Okay. Yeah, but still. I think, oh, you know what I saw? I saw he was 39 in this game, and I think I just assumed. So, yeah, he played two more years. Good for him. Oops. Oh, cross up. Yep. <laughs> you could tell there he wanted a fastball. and Yeah. Yep, no doubt he crossed him up there. Boy, how about those like, 80s glasses, too? Oh, man. I know. Him and Ron Kittle were rocking those glasses back then. Yeah, I remember seeing just, like, the comedy of errors from this game they like to play, you know, showing the you know, the Clark play and that. And I remember growing up in my mind, I always thought, oh, what a screw-up by Porter. But now I look at it, oh, it's a cross-up. Third, the winning run at second. Porter with Worrell in the count, 2-0. and oh. As I said, maybe they did get their signs mixed up. Looks like Porter's looking fastball. And you can see the four fingers held up by Hal Lanier, indicating he doesn't have to hold up four, he only has to hold up two because the count's already 2-0. Oh. So they'll walk McRae. Porter was asking Worrell if Louis Kuhn was trying to get into his, his house, too. <laughs> I like that the Royals fans steadfastly boo this move here. <laughs> like he's Barry Bonds in 2001. Like, we came to see Hal McRae, damn it. <laughs> I like I like uh, baseball fans' commitment to booing sometimes, the silly oh, things. Yeah. Dane Yorg, former Cardinal. Yeah, it was their DH in the 82 series. And was sold to the Royals in 84. Oh, I miss when the days when you used to sell, guys. Oh, yeah. It's very indentured servitude. Here, <laughs> signaling to the infielders as they align themselves here. Orge, a cardinal in the 1982 World Series, and he had a terrific World Series. Bases loaded, one out here. All he's got to do is sacrifice a run in. We got a tie ball game. Cardinals cannot believe they only have one out right now. Most likely they'll try for two unless the only play they have is at the plate. Concepcion at third, Sunberg at second. the runner at first base running for McRae. He's important too because a force play, there he is. A force at second would be a big play. And that's a looper hitting the right field for a base hit. Here comes Sunberg. Here's the throw. He scores. We go to a seven. One of the saddest cutaways in Cardinal history right there. 
I mean, you really look at the guys on the field here. It seems like they think they've won the whole series, and the Cardinals seems like they think they've lost it. I mean, it really it, it seems like the seventh game if you just look at those reactions. Oh, yeah. Well, it turned out that was the case yeah. because Dinkinger goes on to be the home plate umpire the next game. So the Cardinals are just looking for a reason to get upset, and a few calls don't go their way on borderline pitches, and Whitey and Tudor are just losing it. And Tudor gives up, what, five runs and, I don't know, like four innings or something like that, comes out, punches a, an electric fan uh, <laughs> after he gets taken out. Never advisable. In, no, no. And, and then Joaquin Andohar the, comes in in relief. He was on his last legs as an effective player, but uh, their hero from the 82 series. But Andohar comes in, like, immediately gets tossed after, like, two, two pitches don't go his way. And the Cardinals were just... They're just imploded, completely imploded, as a result of this. And great throw by Van Slyke. I wish I was going to say like, blocked the plate a little more. Yeah, he, honestly, it. if he is, yeah, if he's positioned over the plate a little more, I mean, you can't make a better throw than that by Van Slyke. You really can't. I mean, and uh, yeah, probably wouldn't have got him, but it, but he just it's close, it man. If he's bit. a little far, I don't know, man. I think that does get him possibly. It's clo- It's a damn close play if he's a little bit farther back on that plate. I think you're right. So who is who? Who is more happy that Don Dinkinger blew that call? Is it Jack Clark or is it Todd Worrell? It's got to be Jack Clark, right? <laughs> that's a that's a great question. I guess Daryl Porter, you could throw him in there too, but I don't know. I feel like it's hard. It's always hard to say who the cross up is on. Yeah, that's true. Oh, man. So even if we assume nothing changes here, Cardinals still only had one out, right? They would have had two if with the uh, play at first, obviously, the blown call. But I don't know. It's hard to say that they would have definitely won that game, right? I've always – like whenever I was a kid growing up and I always hear about this play, um, and uh, in my mind I always thought it was the third out. Right. But, uh, well, and that's kind of how your memory tends to work in those sorts of things. Right, and then I ended up watching the game, uh, or just following the. I think I watched the ninth inning one time. Well, here's Reggie. He was uh, still an active player at this point. I was just going to say one of the funniest uh, things I've ever see heard was Al Michael saying, "Let's go to Reggie Jackson." I was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> the most prickly player in the majors? We're going to have him be our sideline guy? Interesting choice." Oh, oh Reggie, uh, it seemed like he was trying to carve out his post-playing <laughs> career between this acting in the Naked Gun. Right. But he just was so damn unlikable. Pretend to be nice. Pretend it. to be yeah. nice. Pretend to be nice. Pretend to be nice. Yep, America just wasn't going to have it. <laughs> I mean, I could go for a 30 for 30 on the Reggie Jackson sideline reporter era. This is phenomenal. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you should see a clip from uh, Bill Russell doing a uh, – Basically, the uh, the essence of sideline reporting uh, during uh, the ABC uh, Superstar series. Oh, man. Just, trust me. Again, throw it in your Google machine. With the crazy Bill Russell laugh at some point, I hope. <laughs> I was just thinking, too. I mean, heck, Dick Hauser. I'm sorry. Um, Hauser and uh, Reggie Jackson, they had to have crossed paths with the Yankees at some point. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wonder how that oh, went. Didn't have to. <laughs> if they didn't have words at some point, I'd be shocked. There's Charlie Liebrandt, our our hero. My God, that guy's arm. Let's get him some ice, shall we? But you're definitely right in your point that, you know, it's a one nothing game. There's no guarantee that even if they get that first out, that the Cardinals go on to win. But, man, they just – clearly the Cardinals – well, you know, you put Warrell again. I keep go back to – he'd only been in the uh, the majors for two months, you know, if, if – he didn't really face any adversity. Clearly, didn't face any adversity this previous World Series appearance, and then just one call didn't go their way. Not that that's all on Warrell, but uh, by any means. But I, I can see how that can get to him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, man, that's a it's a game I've again I've heard about that my whole life, and it seems like it's a game that's divided Mizzou Nation for for years, and less so in recent years. So I'm happy to. Rip that Band-Aid off a little bit and pour some salt in those old wounds. <laughs> I always remember my dad talking <laughs> about that game, and he grew up, uh, you know, 
he still is a diehard Cardinals fan, but grew up liking the Royals uh, as well. So he, he was saying that going into that series that, you know, if the Cardinals don't win, you know, I, I can be happy for the Royals. <laughs> they won their first World Series. Yeah. And then that call happens that he is just so bitter to this day about that call. I can't even blame him. No, the thing is, I get it. If I were there, if I were a huge Cardinals fan, I'd be pissed too. I mean, it's one of those deals. But the thing that cracks me up about it is when I get into it with people who are like our age and I'm like, really? Really? Oh, I'm like, you, oh. you have no emotional attachment to this. What are you talking about? Our first year at Mizzou, how much would our oh, Royal God. fans' friends try to throw that back in my face? And actually, it, it would hurt me. Like, See, oh. that that was the problem is because the Royals were so pathetic for <laughs> that whole like 15-year period and then longer, of course. But we didn't have anything else. What else were we going to say? It's like, well, at least we won that World Series. And you'd be like, God Dang it. I mean, it was just kind of the classic, like, argument where it's like a stalemate. It's like, you guys suck. Yeah, well, we beat you that one time. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, and there's no that, winner. There's no winner in that argument. And at that point, it was 2001, 2002. Yep. The Cardinals had not won since then. Sure. Yeah, it had been longer since they'd had a championship. So, And even I can still pull out the, oh, yeah, well, the Royals only have one fewer World Series championship than the Cardinals since the Royals became into existence. Ha <laughs> ha! But then, then, which is a dumb argument because then you can just go, oh, yeah, how many divisions did you win? Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm done. But <laughs> Well, buddy, you, th- you got anything else you want to say about this game or just life in general uh, before no. we get out of here? I mean, just it's always fun to watch games from a different era and see how the game has evolved. And uh, sometimes, you know, we, we talk about how the game was so much better back then. And in many ways, there are reasons to say that the pace of play was, sure. was fun and everything, but, uh, there are other things about it. We just kind of scratch our heads at like, wow, I, I can't believe they used to do stuff like that. back right. then. No, I, that's why I love doing this, man. It's a fun perspective and it's just fun to see these old players and either, reminisce see the old stuff that we used to see or again like this one for me and you especially myself just getting educated about what actually happened it's just funny to see see the real real dirt you know what i mean oh absolutely i enjoyed every bit of it all right hey thanks for joining me buddy i really appreciate it yeah man anytime is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.